Friends, welcome to This Week in the Way of Jesus, a podcast hosted by the 8th Street Church. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that is trying to live this way of Jesus. You'll find both weekly spiritual practices and weekly sermons on this podcast feed. For more information about the 8th Street Church, please visit our website, www.8thstreetchurch.org, or social media pages linked in the show notes. Well, I want to welcome you and greet you in the name, the strong and powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors here at the 8th Street Church. And I invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, the book of Isaiah and also the Gospel of John. These These are our readings for us today. The book of Isaiah, chapter 49, we're going to read a couple of verses. And then John, chapter 1, we'll read uh, several verses uh, from our New Testament reading today. I also invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word for us. So hear the word of the Lord. Keith, I'm going to start with verse 5 from Isaiah chapter 49. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me, and my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations, to the one who is the servant of the rulers, kings will stand at attention when you pass by. Princes will also bow low because of the Lord, the Faithful One, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Our New Testament reading comes out of John chapter 1, starting with verse 29. Here's the word of the Lord. It says this, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far, far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descended and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the word of God for the people of God, so let us say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
So I am not one who is usually uh, interested in preaching the same sermon from week to week. I try to make some things original, but in this case, I need to, or at least preach a little part of what I preached last week. So here it goes. These were exact, my exact words. Last week I told you, because the text, Isaiah 42, proclaimed it, God gushes over you. God is proud of you. God loves you. God marvels at your life. God watches over you with wonder and pride. God's intentions for you are good. God has placed within your body all of the gifts and talents and abilities needed for you to be the most full and best version of yourself. And even when you cannot see it in yourself, God is writing poems and singing songs and stopping parties in order to declare what he thinks about you. And in all of this, God looks at you and wants to conspire with you and believes that you are needed in this larger redemptive plan to help God remake the world as God intends it to be. Building a family, a big family, is what God had and still has in mind when he considers you his children. This sentiment stretches all the way from Isaiah 42 to the chapter that we read today, chapter 49. If we would take a look at the Bible and we would take a step back or we would get in a helicopter and we would see the whole story, we would see that as the story unfolds, so do the plans of God for us. God's intentions are to use us to do God's good work, and God's intention is global. God conspires with us to accomplish God's purposes. Those purposes can be seen in the Old Testament, but they also even more clearly can be seen in this New Testament reading. So, my friends, buckle your seatbelts because my preaching is about ready to be fiery and it is going to be good. And you are going to be wowed. So, here is my best sermon, all right? It's the same sermon that John preached. Here comes the chosen one of God. He is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He's the one that came after me, but actually he was before me. He's the revelation of Israel. So get ready to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the crowd takes a collective yawn. Now, contemporary preachers are taking this collective yawn problem really seriously. That's like the worst thing that a preacher can experience. The collective yawn is to be avoided at, at, at all costs. We cannot have bored people in church. We need to communicate Jesus in a way that is upbeat and that is helpful. We need to make Jesus more attractive. It'll be better for church business that way if preachers figure out how to do that. Jesus needs to be user-friendly. It's important for people to sit in the seats and be at ease. Preachers need to talk about things that people are interested in. Sermons need to be based on the topics that connect with people, like Biblical finances for families and seven principles for great sex. I know you like that sermon series. Getting along with your spouse and three ways to raise nice children. And these are the things that we need to say, Jesus can help us with this. That is what is most important to us, right? Anyway, money and hobbies, our professions, marriage, sex, family. Jesus needs to be treated as a salve for the wounded ego, a pill for the one with unmet expectations, or a treatment for the chronically disappointed. We treat Jesus actually like he is the Dr. Phil of the 21st century. 
But this is where John's sermon and mine get so difficult. Because in the scriptures, Jesus Christ isn't like that at all. Jesus Christ doesn't call people to better their lives. Jesus Christ calls people to follow, to follow, to do life like he did. And sometimes what he says just doesn't make sense to us, and it's not actually that comfortable for us. Every other Savior in the world promises to save me from my unhappiness. But Jesus never does. Jesus is a Savior that doesn't fit my value system or my worldview. Jesus' own sermon actually caused problems with people. Instead of being seeker-friendly or attractional, he said, he said things that got people of his own community and even people of his own family so mad that they wanted to kill him by throwing him off a cliff. This is not exactly a good, a good sermon for church growth. This is not really podcast material or, or something that you want to put on TV. On the days where crowds came to see him to do miracles, they realized, even as he was doing miracles, that he was pointing to something else besides their own happiness or their own self-gratification or their own fulfillment. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about a new way of doing life and a new way of being in a family. And in the end, those that he wanted just to become his brothers and sisters were the ones that stood and shouted, crucify him, because they didn't exactly like what he had to offer. These are, not the ex these are not exactly the kinds of sermons that I like to preach, the ones that Jesus and John would preach. The Jesus in the Scriptures, the Jesus that John spoke about, the Jesus that, that God landed on in the, in the baptism waters is really hard to pin down. It's hard to get what you want out of Jesus. Jesus Christ does not seem to be that interested in, in making sure that we're married or that we have good sex or that our children are safe. He doesn't work to, to make us feel better or to help us to live into our greatest potential. According to John's sermon, Jesus Christ has actually come to save us from those things that have become our priorities in life. And this can be really unsettling because his ways are diametrically opposed to our ways. His values have nothing in common with our values. And his invitation, while simple, is not always easy. It goes like this. Follow me. Now, by following Jesus, he begins to tear at the fabric and rip apart the things that are most dear to us. He begins to turn our worlds upside down. He, he doesn't slip into our lives. He actually demands our lives. And he's so demanding, in fact, that in order to do what he commands, we have to detach, our, detach from our old lives in order to join this new life that he offers. And the detachment of our lives our old lives actually happens in baptism. Come and be baptized is what John says. Let the old way be washed out of you. Get with the new program. Join the revolution is John's sermon. And then Jesus in his sermons takes it even a step further. Let God adopt you. Be my disciple. Join a new family by following me. And Jesus' call is earth-shattering. It splits the very foundation of our existence. It defines our very identity. It causes us to have to give up things like people and ideas and goals. And even our most prized possession, even our loved ones, our families. On one occasion, Jesus invited a grieving man to follow him. And that potential disciple said, 
my father just died, Jesus. I need to go bury him. And Jesus' response seemed harsh. Let somebody else do the funeral. Come and follow me. Then on another occasion, Jesus said, I'm here to set a father against a mother. Ouch. And then on another occasion, he said, who doesn't, ever hate, who doesn't hate his father or his mother cannot be my disciple. And I listen to those sermons, and I think, I don't get it. Does Jesus, does he hate families? You know, although Jesus talks a little bit about divorce, he ever hardly ever, ever talks about sexuality or marriage. And even then, he seems to indicate that maybe singleness is the best way to go. And in this text, the one that we read, he goes to several young fishermen, and then he calls them to follow him. These young men are the future of the family business. But it's even more than that. They are the essence of the old man's retirement. If they leave dad, who's going to be left to take care of him in his old age? They are his 401k. There is social security. They are his retirement plan. Charles Schwab would have a different opinion than what Jesus had on this one. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I wonder how dad felt just standing there alone, watching his boys walk off, nets still unwashed, their line on the beach. Why would they leave dad in order to follow a homeless rabbi? And why? Maybe even more. Why would Jesus require it? Why does, why does he seem to devalue what is so important to us? Why? Why would Jesus do such a thing? Well, maybe. Maybe it's because God's idea of a family is different than ours. My family is important to me. I love them more than anything, and most people feel the same. Most people would do anything for their loved ones, for their family. They'd fight for them. They'd, they'd kill for them. I mean, after all, the American dream is to settle down and, and purchase and make a home. So securing good schools, going on vacation, celebrating birthdays, saving for the college fund are what we talk with our financial planners about. We pay taxes to have those kinds of things in place. We go to war to secure those things. And the goal is then to live in neighborhoods, nice neighborhoods surrounded by nice people who look like us, vote like us, are the same religion as us, and have the same priorities as us. But the trick is, none of our stuff, including our closest loved ones, last. That seems to get us all in the end. The thief will come and take it, is what Jesus says. So Jesus tells this story of a man who had it all. And when he saw all of his stuff, he decided that his work was all done. He was going to spend the rest of his days uh, enjoying all that he had accumulated. But the rest of his days just amounted to 24 hours. He died. And then Jesus said, well, that guy was a fool. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe Jesus doesn't hate families at all. Maybe he just doesn't want us to be left as fools. Because maybe his invitation to do this life by following him is his way to invite us into a new, wider, even bigger family. One better than we even realized. Because it's this new family, one where everyone has purpose, one where everybody is safe and belongs, one where God conspires with the members of that family to carry out God's redemptive purposes for the world. Maybe that's the kind of family that Jesus is interested in building. 
I've always thought it was curious how Jesus views family. And it seems that there's one thing that he requires for those who follow him, and it's total surrender, complete obedience to the mission of his father. It seems that there's just this one thing that Jesus is willing to do. And that is, the mission is to welcome everybody into this new family. Maybe the only way that that we're not to be left as fools is to be baptized into something that is eternal. Something that's better than what we even have in the media. Something that lasts forever. Something that Isaiah, like, like Isaiah says, it's going global. You know, we're baptized into one thing or another, whether we know it or not. Some people use the word indoctrination, but we're, we're baptized into something. Sometimes we're baptized into our work. It shapes our very identities. Sometimes we're baptized into our hobbies. Sometimes we've been baptized into our dreams or our goals. And we are certainly active in baptizing our children into a certain way of life. If you don't believe me, just check this out, right? Right here, there's a picture. Keith, go ahead and show them. Right there. You ever seen that before? Before it gets too close to home, maybe this one even makes more sense to you. We even baptize our children, right? But in John's sermon, he says, Jesus, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, which means that you'll be immersed in God's way of doing things. You'll be immersed into God's way of thinking about the world. You will be, you will be baptized into God's family. Jesus will baptize you into a family that is eternal and a family that lasts forever. So maybe Jesus is kind of cool towards the things that we're so up on, things like marriage and sex and family, because what he's really doing is he's trying to construct a new family. But this family doesn't look like us, and they're not biologically attached to us, and their blood doesn't run with the same sort of DNA as ours. Their politics or their paycheck is not the same. The Old Testament, even Isaiah says that God will collect the lost children of Israel and collect them unto God's self. But John's sermon and Jesus' way actually expands that idea. The collection of all lost children, all lost children, not just the ones of Abraham's family, is what God is interested in. And I think I'm getting it. Jesus sees God's new family and begins the work of making invitations to those who have no family. I mean, he says, follow me. It's an invitation to be in a new family. And baptism is actually the initiation, the mark of adoption, which we spoke of just a few minutes ago together. We recited the weekly reading together. This is the passage. Baptism is the passage, the rite of passage by which people are invited into something that is long-lasting. It's forever and it's eternal. Now, while Jesus seems to be this homewrecker, we find that he's actually not. Because he tells stories like this. He tells stories of lost coins that then lead to stories of lost sheep, and then that leads to stories of lost sons. These are the stories of a new kind of family. And then the invitation is yours. And the invitation is mine. Follow me. Be a disciple. Join the family. Get in on something that's gone global. You know what's amazing to me? God seems to have needs. Can you imagine a God that has needs? I mean, 
That seems strange, but God seems to have needs, and this is what God needs. God needs a family. God needs a big family, a family that is so big that your little family with its values and its traditions and its quirkiness, it just isn't enough for God. This was the vision of God in Isaiah for the exiles. God's love is as as wide as his ability to sacrifice. And the fact of the matter is this, that your family isn't big enough for you either. So Jesus tries to wreck the idea of homes so that he can invite us into a new idea of what it means. So it's in baptism that you're given a new family name, and it takes precedence over the old one. Your name is no longer Pollock or Mayfield or Ellington or Guile or Samples or Smith or Jones. You are Christian. And being Christian, you have died to the old life and the old values and the old relationships, and you're you're raised into something new and fresh and lasts forever. It's something eternal. Your new life in the family of God is eternal. And there is a, there's a word, a New Testament word for the, this family, and it's called the church. And the danger of the church is this, that everyone, every single person is welcome. But not just that, every rabble, rouser, and rascal who joins in the family through baptism becomes now a brother or a sister because Jesus loves them to death just like he loves you. And as you have, that, that person has been washed in the same dirty baptism water that you've been washed in, which means that now your lives are joined. You are connected with an eternal connection. What you are now a part of when you're baptized is a far-flung, barrier-breaking family. God is your father, Christ your brother, the spirit your mother. It's this new eternal family that lasts forever. Now, in preaching class, when you're in seminary, they teach you, give the people some sort of takeaway or challenge or leave them with something. But today, I don't have anything to challenge you with. I just have a way to invite you. And so I'm going to invite you into a practice. Every single week, we give you a spiritual practice to take home as you're sent from this place. So this week, the practice is this. I want to invite you to consider baptism. Now, it would look like this. First, this is an invitation to, to, to join this new family by being baptized. So if you have never been baptized before, you can choose to do so. I want you to know that your baptism is a world-changing event. When we baptize people at the H3 Church, we throw a huge party because it's the invitation to welcome a candidate into a new family. So we've put together a podcast, which we do every single week, called This Week in the Way of Jesus, to talk about this spiritual practice. I want to let you know that I recognize that this can be a scary thing, but I want you to take some time, even this week, if you have not been baptized, to think about it. Perhaps you've never done it before, so uh, you, you may not even know how to think about it, so I invite you just to email one of your pastors. We would love to take you to coffee and even chat about it. And if you need a resource or something like that, we would, we would give you some resources so that you can consider it. But if you have been baptized, perhaps your parents baptized you as a baby, or perhaps you were baptized as a child or in another church, I want to let you know that we affirm the sacredness of that act and believe that in that act, all the grace that was afforded to you in that moment and all the grace that was needed in that moment that was offered to you. So there's no reason to be baptized again. But there is reason to renew your baptism vows. 
there is reason to renounce the things that will draw you away from God's family and draw you into a much larger family. So the way that we do that is we remember our baptism. So maybe this week, what you even want to do is you want to take a small bowl and fill it with water and leave it as a symbol of your baptism before a meeting or a hard conversation or before dates with your spouse or taking the kids to activities. Maybe what you want to do is just take the bowl and remember your baptism and dip the Dip your finger in the sign as a prayerful remembrance that you are a part of a much bigger global family. And finally, if you're a parent with kids, I would encourage you to have your children dedicated or baptized. They're already being baptized into ways of thinking by cultures and systems, by a society, in in ways that they cannot comprehend and, and in ways that you cannot comprehend. So I invite you to consider baptizing your children. And when you baptize your child, you're actually saying, our little little family is inviting this one into a wider family of belonging where God is our father, Christ our brother, the spirit is our mother. And because we, as mom and dad, love you and life is hard, we invite you, even as little as you are, into the global work of redemption. And as God has a purpose for us and for you, uh, we want you to understand that and know that. So, of course, if you have any questions about that, we invite you to come and talk to your pastor. But the other thing I want you to do is that I want to do is I want to invite you to come to this table. And I want you to see this table as a big family table. When we eat at this table, we remember that we are adopted, that we are heirs to his wealth that we are loved by God, our Father, Christ, our brothers, the Spirit, our Mother. And so I want to remind you of the story that Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed by those he came to save, at dinner, took the bread and gave thanks, and then he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then after supper, he held up the cup, and he he said, this is my blood, that is the covenant, the new covenant, the new way of doing things in the world. And whenever you drink of it, I want you to do so in remembrance of me. So I want to invite you to this table. I want to remind you that this is not a Nazarene table. It's not the 8th Street Church table. This is Jesus' table. And Jesus has made it a family table. It's his table that is open to everyone who want to be a part of the surprising and astonishing work of God as God remakes a family in the world. We want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free. Our wine is non-alcoholic, so that anybody who wants to participate can do so. So as you come this week, I invite you uh, to move to the outside aisle before you come. And I invite you to come to one of these servers. I want you to listen to what they have to say, dip the bread into the cup, and then I want you to eat it and be thankful. In this season of Epiphany, we know that there are burdens that many of you have been carrying and things that you've been praying about. So we've left these candles, and so after you receive at the table, we invite you to take the clicker, these lighters, and light a a candle so that we, the family, can be in prayer for and carry these burdens with you. And then as you return to your seat up the middle aisle, we've we've left the baptismal font here. If you have been baptized in the past, we invite you to dip your fingers in the font, to feel the water, to remember your baptism that you are now a part of a big family, and we invite you to be grateful. So friends, 
Uh, if for any reason you cannot come down the side aisles, wave at Macy. She'll come and bring the elements to you. But this is the good news story for us today. It comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the New Testament. And it's relevant to us now, here, forever, because it is an eternal story. So I invite you to come to the table whenever you are ready. Friends, each week we invite our congregation to respond to what they've heard by entering into a weekly spiritual practice. You can find the episode to the practice and enter into this way of Jesus in the podcast feed. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you wherever you go.